the spirit-filled life and is a life of fellowship with God, communion with Him. Union evident by communion. Chapter 9 of Matthew. I read here that our Lord went down verse from verse 35 on through. He was preaching in verse 35. He was teaching and preaching in the synagogues in all the cities and villages there and healing and so on. Verse 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will thrust forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called to him the twelve, he sent them out. But the great call praying the Lord of the harvest to thrust forth laborers into his harvest field. Union evident by communion. Fellowship with God. Communion with Him. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary. We continue on from our previous lesson on the place of prayer in the Spirit-filled believer in Christ. Now in this lesson, Dr. Mitchell further speaks on the importance and necessity of prayer, and he gives us the example of Jesus praying to his Father, and this was a two-way fellowship, the one with the other. And Dr. Mitchell says that the Spirit-filled life is a life of fellowship with God a life of union evidenced by communion with Him. You know that in this day of mass communications, there are still those who have not yet heard the gospel of the grace of God. So Jesus asks His disciples, you and me, to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell now with lessons on prayer and witnessing on the unchanging word. Bible broadcast. This question of prayer. When a person is walking in fellowship with God, he will also enter the ministry of prayer. You know, when we were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, that speaks of union with Him. But when I'm talking about a Spirit for life, I'm talking about communion with Him. For a Spirit for life means to walk in the intimacy of God's fellowship, communion with the living God. My, what a privilege. What a wonderful privilege God has given to us that you and I can come at any time in the presence of God and enjoy Him for Himself. He puts responsibilities upon us. So we were taking in our last lesson this question of 
the evidence, one of the evidences of a spiritual life is the life of prayer. Before that, we had the fruit of the Spirit, you remember. And we were discussing this question. We will pray in the Spirit, and I give you some scriptures. And then the second thing I was talking about was God looks for a man to pray. He doesn't need a crowd. I think we were closing this in our lesson yesterday. God looks for a man. And I pointed out some illustrations in the, in the scriptures. God looked for a man to pray, and he found Abraham in Genesis 18. God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he won't do that until he talks with his friend, Abram. Abram began to intercede. Abram stood between God in his righteous judgment and cities in their corruption. Boy, what a, an amazing thing that a man should stand between the eternal, infinite, holy, righteous God between him and cities of corruption. And then in Exodus 32 and 33, you have Moses. God said to Moses, I'm going to blot this people Israel out and I'll make of you a great nation. And you remember Moses stood before God and interceded and said, you can't throw him out. He interceded on the ground of the righteous character of God and upon the promises of God. If you blot this nation out, you'll not be able to keep your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you brought this people out, what will the Egyptians say? That's the kind of a God they have. You fought all down through your Bible. Isaiah stood before God. In fact, in Isaiah 59, you remember he declared, I looked for a man and I found none. Truth has fallen in the streets. The righteous man was a prey and God wondered there was no intercessor. In Ezekiel 22, the nations got off into corruption and I looked for a man to stand in the gap and plead for my land and I found none. The same thought you have in, in Romans chapter 9 with the apostle Paul. He had continual sorrow, unceasing pain, willing to be in a curse from Christ if it meant the salvation of his people Israel. One could go on down through the Bible. Same with Samuel. What a need there is for a man. Now let's go on from there. We all know something about praying. If I were to ask you, indeed if I were to ask you to give a message on prayer, no doubt you could say something about it. But we all know something about the value of prayer. But we don't pray. It's our problem. It's true of you. It's true of me. It's one of our great problems today. We don't avail ourselves of the marvelous privilege of coming in the presence of God, being with him. Do you remember that our Savior used to leave the twelve disciples and he went into a mountain apart to pray and he prayed all night? Did the Lord Jesus need to pray all night? The sinless, holy son of God. No, he loved to go into the presence of his father. And by the way, it wasn't a one-way street. I believe he talked to his father and his father talked to him. The wonderful relationship, the wonderful intimacy of fellowship. 
I'm not surprised when he said to the disciples, if you have as much faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this man and remove, be cast into the sea. Our Lord never walked one day out of fellowship with his father. And yet he took the time even to stay all night in the presence of his father. What a lesson for us. Amazing thing. He just wanted to be alone with his father. You ever feel that way? Not just a question of praying, but coming in the presence of God. And I guarantee you one thing. If you walk with him, you'll start to pray for others in need. No question about that. He put upon you the burden of communion. It's a marvelous thing. It's not one-sided. It's reciprocal. So I'm trying to get to your heart. I'd like to read this to you. Another one quotation, if you want it. The, sources, the source of our supply for our need is in heaven. The realm of our need is here on earth. And the line of communication is prayer. Our Lord has the power. The need here is on earth. And prayer is the communication of a believer with his father in heaven. What do we know about it? Communion with Christ is the sequel of union with him. If I'm joined to the Savior, and we glory in that fact, whether we, whether we feel it or not, it's true that you and I, when we accepted the Savior, became members of the family of God. We belong to him. We've been regenerated. We have a new life. The Spirit of God indwells us. What for? For communion. That's the important thing. Not to do things, that's secondary. The important thing is to walk with God. If you, walk, if you don't walk with God, then you don't do things for God. You don't experience His power or His love or His grace. We get so occupied with ourselves as a problem. Now, hence, I say that the spirit-filled life then is a life of fellowship with God, communion with him. That's why if I were teaching John chapter 15, he talks about this very thing, union evident by communion. Fellowship. Why are so many millions of people on reach today? After 1,900 years, there are millions on earth who have never heard the gospel yet. With all our things today, I, in fact, I'm, I wonder if God hasn't allowed this. I think of the television, I think of radio, radio reaching into some of these places where they've never heard the gospel. I get words from the FEBC, Far East Broadcasting Company, the letters they're receiving from China and from Russia and other places where, where they have heard the gospel by means of the radio. They've come to know the Savior. There's a tremendous amount of people. I think they said there were over a thousand letters a week coming in. People, people want to know more about the Savior. It's part of God's plan because he said, you remember what our Lord said. This kingdom, this message, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. Then shall the end come. Then shall the end come. But to me, it's an amazing thing. After 1,900 years, there are so many places in the earth, even today, with all our communication, not hearing the gospel of the grace of God. 
I would suggest to you, by the way, Matthew chapter, what is that chapter in Matthew? Is it Matthew 9? Comes to my mind. Where our Lord said to the disciples, yeah, chapter 9 of Matthew. I read here that our Lord went down verse from verse 35 on through. He was preaching in verse 35. He was teaching and preaching in the synagogues in all the cities and villages there and healing and so on. Verse 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will thrust forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called to him the twelve, he sent them out. But the great call is for praying the Lord of the harvest to thrust forth laborers into his harvest field. Comparatively speaking, how many are going out to the mission fields today? Very few, comparatively speaking. Why? Because the church doesn't pray. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest field. It's what God's great desire is here, to send forth laborers into his harvest. Now that's about all I'm going to say about this question of prayer, intercession, communion with God. The next thing I want to talk to you about, if one is spirit-filled, you will notice that the spirit-filled life is very closely connected with witnessing. So this comes to the next division. The evidence of a spiritual life is evident by witnessing. And you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let me just give you a couple of scriptures for a moment. The main thought is witnessing. Let's put that down. The main thought here is witnessing. We've just had prayer, now we have witnessing. As I said, yesterday we plead with God for men, that's intercession. We plead with, we plead with men for God, and that's witnessing. I plead with God for men, that's intercession. And I plead with men for God, that's witnessing. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said, you shall receive power, the Spirit of God coming upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, your witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And while he said these words, he was taken up into heaven and seated on the throne of God. The last testimony of our Lord was this, encouraging his disciples to be filled with the Spirit of God, filled with power, to bear testimony. And may I suggest, too, it takes the power of God to witness. It's a funny thing, you know. You, you can sit down with somebody and talk about sports. You can talk about business. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about anything under heaven. But you try and talk about the Savior. You're harming your heart about it. The Spirit of God comes to indwell us with power. What for? To witness. And may I make this statement? In the book of Acts, ten times in the book of Acts, I read they were filled with the Spirit of God, and, and I think nearly every time it was coupled with witnessing. 
to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, or Matthew chapter 28, at the end of the chapter. Go ye and make disciples of all nations. You shall receive power. Go and all authority is mine. If you want the whole passage, all authority is mine in heaven and in earth. Go ye and disciple all nations. The command, go ye and disciple all nations. First Peter 1.12, if you want to follow some other scriptures. First Peter 1.12, Peter himself talks about this fact. And then in Luke 24, Luke 24, 46 to 49. And I would like to give you our Lord himself as an illustration in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 on, where our Lord said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to give deliverance to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Our Lord filled with the Spirit of God. And by the way, in Luke's gospel, you'll find that in chapter 1, Elizabeth was filled and prophesied or witnessed. Simeon was filled and he was taught and he was led by the Spirit in Luke chapter 2. And you follow it along. John the Baptist was going to be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Followed by what? Witnessing. Can I come back to it? Now let me give you two or three things about it. The first thing is this. Our responsibility to witness. I'm talking about witnessing now. First thing under that, our responsibility is to witness. And again, I give you those, that passage, Luke chapter 24. They were to tarry at Jerusalem until they received power from on high. What for? To witness, 46. Your witnesses of these things of my death, burial, and resurrection. But tarry at Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Power to witness. Our responsibility. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, where you have the apostle Peter, 38 and 39, if you want it, uh, down at the house of Cornelius, what he said, and we are witnesses of these things. And you remember how God had a, quite a time with Peter to get him to go into the house of a Gentile. I don't want to go into it about the sheet was let down from heaven, you remember with all kinds of animals on it. And God said, arise and eat. I'm not so, Lord. Don't know, sir. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. What God has cleansed, call not common or unclean. He went down to the Gentiles' house and he told Cornelius, we are witnesses of these things, of the death, of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. That's Acts chapter 10 on. And I've already mentioned Matthew 28. There is, what I'm trying to get to your heart is, there is no witness until they're endued with power from on high. Even after having three and a half years with a Savior, they're told to wait. You're going to go 10 years to Multnomah School of the Bible, not be a witness. You've got to wait. Because what? The Spirit of God comes upon you. God wants you. He's not going to send an angel. 
An angel came and told Cornelius, you go down and get that fellow Peter, the commercial fisherman down there, and uh, he lives right next to the man who's the tanner. Remember that? You don't need any address, just follow your nose. He's staying with somebody at the tanner. See, when I was a kid, there was a tanning factory just about a block or so from us. When the wind blew just right, it was terrible. You know, you just follow your nose. you find the tanner's place. Stinks to high heaven. And he'll give you words whereby you and your household will be saved. Why didn't the angel tell him? No. The angels never experienced the grace of God. The angels have never experienced forgiveness of sins. Christ didn't die for angels. He died for men and women. I wish we could see this. What a responsibility, as we shall see. Our responsibility is then to, they were to wait for the power of God so that they might bear testimony. By the way, let me give you three little commands of Christ. Three little commands of Christ. First of all, look ye. That's in John chapter 4. Our Lord's down there at Samaria, and the, and the Samaritans were coming to hear the Savior by, you remember the testimony of the woman. And the disciples came wondering why he was talking to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look. Get vision. The field is white on the harvest. First thing then is vision. Look ye. The second one is in Matthew chapter 12. Chapter 9, pardon me. Chapter 9. Uh, pray ye the Lord of the harvest. That's burden. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that you send forth laborers. And then in Matthew 28, go ye and disciple all nations. Look ye, that's vision. Pray ye, that's a burden. Go ye and make disciples of all nations. But first of all, get vision. And then you get a burden. And when you have a burden for lost souls, there's no question what you'll do. When you meet people needing a savior, you'll witness for him. So you get those three things in order. Vision, burden, witness. Chapter 4 of John. Of John, lift up your eyes and look. Feel as white on the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers. Go ye and disciple all nations, Matthew 28. I just put those three together so you have it. And while I'm on that question, may I just say this also. Some reap where they've never sown. You find that in John chapter 4. Some reap, Jesus said, you've reaped where you've never sown. Some both reap and sow. Some sow who never reap. I know men who are very active in witnessing for the Savior. And one of them said to me one day, you know, he's a Gideon. He said, you know, I've, I've talked about the Lord. I've preached the gospel. I've borne testimony. I said, yes, Harry, I know that. But I've never led a soul to Christ. As far as I know, I've never led a soul to Christ. He sowed and didn't have the joy of reaping. I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing to 
to both sow the word of God and reap a harvest. Now an evangelist comes to town and he reaps. But there's not much reaping if there hasn't been any sowing. We extol the evangelist because he, he's the man who reaps. We forget the poor fellow down here who's been sowing all the time and hadn't had the joy of, of leading people to the Savior. And some both sow and reap. I just trust the Lord will give you a real joy of leading somebody to the Savior. And I'll tell you, when you get that joy, there's nothing to compare with it. I hear the Savior say, I stray. Watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.